A disciple is one who has heard the call of Jesus, repented, turned from our sin, turned towards Him, believed the gospel, and is following Him. That is a disciple. It is someone who is acknowledged uh, His rule as, as king, has taken themselves off of His throne and acknowledges His rightful rule over every area of life, every area of life without any exception whatsoever from cradle to grave, from dawn until dusk, in every arena, private as well as public. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, uh, to paraphrase uh, play around with the words of an old, beautiful old hymn, all our thoughts and words and doings, all our days and all our hours. It's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and that flows over and includes our work, our daily activities, uh, the ways in which we uh, carry out our callings in this life, not just, not just what we do, but how we do them. Includes everything. Includes everything. Which takes us to this psalm that we're going to be looking at here for the next few minutes. Psalm 127. This is, again, we're continuing in this series in these songs of ascent. Um, as the pilgrims were making their way, as the Israelites would make their way to Jerusalem, to the temple for these annual feasts, they had this collection, these 15 psalms, 120 to 134. They were pulled together that they would sing together hear one another. Imagine the effect of that, not just singing these things, but also hear your brothers and sisters around you singing these words in unison, in harmony together. It has an effect upon you, just as we sing the things that we do today. They're making their way to the temple, and as they're making their way, among many other things, this is what can happen. It can cause you to reflect. That journey, that pilgrimage, those days, that process can cause you to reflect, to reflect upon God's provision and to reflect upon the ordinary ways through which He provides our work and the balance therein and the complexities therein as to how we understand that. Well, so now we're going to read the text, Psalm 127. Hear now God's Word. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for your word, for this psalm. Thank you for the opportunity we have to eavesdrop into the assembly as they were, for all those years, walking step by step, by step, together, as families and clans making their way to the feasts, 
to gather together as the larger assembly to worship and praise and service of our God, of their God, of the one true living God who has made us for Himself such that our hearts are restless till they find their rest in You. Oh, we ask that You would help us to to listen to these words. No doubt, no few of us come into this room here this morning with many different things upon our minds and hearts, some that lighten and some that that heavy, that weigh down. No doubt, uh, no few of us come into this room with preconceived ideas as to what it means for a disciple to work, uh, and to the degree that our ideas and concepts, our assumptions are right, and we ask that you would deepen them to the degree that they need to be corrected and shaken a bit. We ask that you would do that. Please have mercy upon us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. It is good to have work to do. It is good to have work to do. From the very beginning, in the garden, Adam and Eve were given a charge, given a command, a mandate to take dominion over the entirety of the earth, to steward it, to harness its resources for God's good and glorious purposes. Put another way, they were told to get to work. And that's before the fall. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Get busy and get to work. In the Scriptures, time and time again, there are, we see many different metaphors that are used to describe the Lord Himself, and He is certainly a worker. Let me give you a list of some of those metaphors that you see, some of them you may be familiar with. The God is a gardener, a shepherd, a potter, a physician, a, sh- a, a teacher, a parent, a vine dresser, a metal worker. Several others we could note as well. Jesus worked in His earthly ministry. Oh, my goodness, we know that simply because He grew up being raised by His Father in the trade of carpentry and as a craftsman. We know Jesus worked with His hands. And surely there was much, shall I say, sweat equity put into the years in which He led His disciples, that earthly ministry of His. We are made in the image and according to the likeness of a God who works, which means there can be nothing more human than giving our hands, our hearts, our minds to work. We are made to work. It is good to have work to do. God values our work. You ever think about that? God values your work, my work, our work. It doesn't matter what the field is in which you work. It doesn't matter the profession. It doesn't matter the position that you hold within those fears. He values your work. And by the way, it has nothing to do, being very serious here, it has nothing to do with how that work enables you to give then to the church. That has nothing to do with how He values your work. It has nothing to do with how your work, your field of endeavor is somehow a mission field. It may be, that's fine, but that is not why God values your work. He made you to work. Whatever field that is, 
And whatever position that is, whatever profession that may be, whether it's paid or not, He values your work. It is good to have work to do. Martin Luther is said to have put it this way, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays, not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Our work is simply good in God's sight, period, full stop. So it is good for us to have work to do. That said, we have to pursue it in the right way. And that's the message of Psalm 127. That's a message that every one of us here in this room desperately needs to hear and take to heart and bring to bear come tomorrow morning. It is good to have work to do, but we must pursue it, whatever it is, in the right way. And you see that here in the psalm in in two senses, two starkly contrasting points. And one is the uselessness of our efforts, the uselessness of our efforts without God's work, and counter, in just an utter opposition to that, utter contrast, stark contrast to that, the fruitfulness of our efforts with God's work. Let's unpack that, those two things. It ought to get our attention, right? If you could say, whoa, if there's a sense in which my work could be utterly useless, I need to know what that is. And if there's a sense in which my work could be rich and fruitful, I need to know what that is. And that's where the psalm grabs our attention. Let's look at this together. The First, the uselessness of our efforts. And then we see this in uh, verses 1 and 2, the uselessness of our efforts. Verses 1 and 2, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. This is a warning. This is a stark warning that speaks against our proud and anxious striving. And it's a strong warning. It speaks to our tendencies, and we know if we're honest, to the degree that we're honest, We know what our tendencies are, the proud assumptions that we bring to bear in all of our work and whatever that endeavor may be. And it goes like this, everything hinges on me. If I don't do it, it won't get done. It all depends on what I do. That's the proud assumption that we bring so often to our our labors, which then results in greatly anxious toil because of the proud arrogance and presumption that we bring to our work, it cannot help then but to result in anxious toil, where we find ourselves unable to stop, unable to breathe, unable to rest, unwilling to heed the Lord's command to Sabbath, 
to a one day in seven ceasing of our normal, ordinary labors. And with that, by the way, a failure to realize the blessing of being freed from the tyranny and idolatry of our work and the fruits of our work. It's partly what the Sabbath is intended for, not as a burden, but to free us, to free us from our idols and their clutches. We are like hummingbirds. And I don't mean because we fly so well. Now, hummingbirds, of course, are known for their delightful um, aerodynamic, I was going to say, aerial maneuvers. That's what I wanted to say. Aerial uh, dynamics and just the wonders of these beautiful little creatures. Um, Did you know, I was reading about this this past week, their wing beats, the wing beat speed just at normal flight is 25 beats per second. In fast flight, that can go up as high as 80 beats per second. It's said that in, shall I say, courtship, that can soar, pardon the pun, up to as high as 200 beats per second. That's extraordinary, which, of course, the metabolism of these little birds, they they really don't move by walking. You won't really ever see a hummingbird walk. They, They will perch to rest or to roost, but really it's with wings that they move. And their metabolism is such, well, let's put it this way. One one, uh, avid bird watcher I was reading uh, this week uh, put it this way. The the average man eats about 2.5 pounds a week, uh, excuse me, a day, two and a half pounds a day. Now, if said man had the same sort of metabolic exertion as a hummingbird, that man would have to eat 370 pounds of boiled potatoes a day. Yeah. Now, that's fine for the hummingbird. Eating to live and living to eat, right? That's fine for the hummingbird. That's the way that little dude, that little dudette was made. That's what they're created to do. Not human beings. Not human beings. That's an utter violation of our design to live like a hummingbird. For the reality, as now moving from the ten, our tendency to the reality of the world in which we live, the reality of the world in which we live is made up of two things, God's rule and God's rest. God's rule. You see it here in the, in the opening salvo of this song. He has to be the one to do the building of the city, ultimately. He has to be the one to do the building of the house, the watching over the city. He ultimately has to be the one doing that. And without that, our efforts, our labors, our endeavors is vain. Another way to put that would be utterly worthless or futile. Because we're talking about His rule over all things and now His rest. And this being the rest that He gives the fulfillment, the, uh, the rest that we seek so often through our work, He promises to give if we will but stop 
and lean into Him. Or even as we are working, lean into Him. All the rest, all that we are seeking, the satisfaction, the longing, He alone provides what we ultimately are seeking. You see, there is such a uselessness to our efforts without the work of God, which then raises some really strong questions that we've got to reckon with. Why are we working so hard? What are we chasing after? Really? What are we chasing after? Where is our hope? Where is our trust? Or if I can put it another way, coming from another angle, where is your identity? Where is your security? Or if I can come at it from now another angle, where would you be if you lost that job? Or, for whatever reason, had to step away from it. Do you have a self now? Where is your identity? Where is your security? What are you chasing after? Where is your hope? Where is your trust? You see, again, it's good to have work to do, but we simply must do it in the right way. We have to do it. We have to pursue it God's way. So that speaks to the, the uselessness of our efforts. That's verses 1 and 2. That's the warning. That's the warning. But now we shift in verses 3 to 5. This is the second point. Not so much a warning, a, positive, a negative warning, but a positive example, a case study. So it's as though we've been, we've been just as clear as can be said, don't go down this way. This is what it should look like, verses 3 to 5. Here's the case study. Pay attention. Take heed. Let's read it, verses 3 to 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Again, this is a case study. This is in stark, utter contrast to the vain striving, the self-sufficiency and independency you see spoken against in verses 1 and 2. There's something else being held forth and lauded as an example here in verses 3 to 5. The case study in the way God provides children. It all begins with God's generosity. Not saying in every case he provides children, but when he does, that is only because of his generosity. Um, children, the imagery used here, are like arrows. You may, well, how, how is that? Well, just think, think with me, and especially in ancient, the ancient world. It was vital for a kingdom to have an army. It was vital for the army to have archers. It was vital for the archers to have what? Thank you. Arrows. In that culture, especially in an agrarian society, to continue on with your lineage, to hold on to the ancestral land, to be able to take care of that ancestral land, all hinges so much on, 
on children. I recognize that's not quite the same today, of course, but just think in terms of the original readers. So you have the image from the battlefield, the archers, the arrows. Then you have the image of the, from the city gate. You may be wondering, what on earth is that? Isn't that just like an entrance and an exit? No, not in that culture. In those times, in those places, what that meant was that the city gate was what we would think of in terms of the town hall or the courthouse where transactions were witnessed and cases were decided. So it's a big deal. And what the psalmist is saying is, such a man will never stand alone. And only because of God's generosity. Again, only because of God's generous dealings with him. Now, but there's a balance with this. God's generosity and our responsibility, that is to say our response to, okay, literally, our response to His generosity. What ought that then to be? Two things. First, gratitude. I mean, how are these children being described here in the psalm? As a heritage, as a reward. It is said that blessed is the man who is given them, right? Meaning, children are to be understood, embraced, received as a good thing, as a gift, which, by the way, is a message we need to trumpet again and again and again and again in this world. We are, our first, first part of our response to God's generosity is to be grateful. Again, this is a case study. So just, you can enlarge that to all of His provision, Okay. But the case study is how he provides us with children. We are to respond with gratitude, with thankfulness. Also to be engaged. Also to be engaged. On the, yeah, I already said we're not to be like the hummingbird, nor are we to be in terms of children waiting around for the stork to show up. I mean, quite literally, for children to be brought into this world, The husband and the wife have to set out to do something if those children are going to be brought into that world. And then they're going to need to keep doing some things that those children would be raised up in this world. You with me? This is no let go and let God. This is pray and get busy. In every endeavor... The case study has to do with family life. The case study has to do with home. But in every endeavor, in every aspect of of every field, every profession, every everything, you you see the way it's described here in verse 5, the the, uh, first part of verse 5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now, some translations make that a passive, and it's the wrong way to translate it. It is not blessed is the man whose quiver is filled. No, it is blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. There's an activeness involved in here. There's a response of being engaged. Life is not a spectator sport. No, that's right. Life is not a spectator sport. We are called in terms of our response to all of God's provision to, in fact, respond, to be engaged to be engaged. So we're thinking here now of the, not, not now the uselessness of our efforts, but the fruitfulness of our efforts with the work of God. There, if the first point speaks towards our reliance upon the Lord in everything, now the balance swings over this way to include diligence. 
It's not one or the other. It's both at the same time. We see reliance and diligence. If you want, you can call it a reliant diligence or a diligent reliance, whichever way you want to go. But it's not one, it's not the other, it's, it's, it's both. It's why we can speak of the Christian work ethic, which is not just ruling out stealing, ruling out deceit. It does, but it also calls for labor and rules against laziness. That's part of the Christian work ethic because we've been made to work. Diligent reliance and reliant diligence. We, it's good. Again, it's good to have work to do, but we have to pursue that God's way. Again, balance. Balance. True labor in God's strength. True labor in God's strength. That's what Francis Schaeffer referred to years ago as active passivity. See, it's not one, it's not the other, it's, it's both active passivity. And to make the case, he, he used the example of, of Mary, the mother of our Lord. You know, the angel comes with this pronouncement. Despite the fact that you are a virgin, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. Now, Mary at this point has three options in front of her as to how she can respond. She can say, no. I'm not going to do it. Go away. That's option number one. And in that, there will be no blessing, no anything. Option number two. Awesome, I'll get right on that. Again, that's impossible. She can't do this. So utter refusal or utter taking on the whole thing unto yourself is not going to happen. There's only one other option. Praise God, that was the one we read of in Luke chapter 1. Behold, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Humble reliance, willingness, trust, obedience. It's in your quotes and notes. This is from, uh, France, from uh, Schaefer's book, True Spirituality, reflecting on all of this. We are in the same, posi- same situation. He's just been talking about Mary. We are in the same situation in that we have these great and thrilling promises we've been considering And we are neither to think of ourselves as totally passive, as though we had no part in this, as though God had stopped dealing with us in the here and now as men, nor are we to think we can do it ourselves. Active passivity, diligent reliance, true labor in God's strength. And this is true, again, for every Christian in every field, in every profession, in every calling, whatever your position. It's true for every one of us here in this room. Whatever is in front of you this week, this is true for us all. It's good to have work to do. We have to do it the Lord's way. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for this call. 
Thank you for the clarity of it. You're calling us to this diligent reliance and active passivity, laboring but leaning into you all the while. And whatever that would look like, whatever that would mean, great exertion in whatever field it is that you call us to labor in, but in complete trust upon your strength for whatever would then result. And Lord, we confess that that is a hard balance for us. We do tend to swing to, from one extreme to another. Pride, thinking it all depends upon us, or sloth, laziness, thinking there's nothing for us to do. We thank You for making us as You have in Your image, according to Your likeness. Thank You that You are transforming us to making us more like You, Jesus. And thank You for revealing these things to us, and we ask that You would help us to live out of this in everything, even this week. Pray in Your name. Amen. Well, we are now continuing in our worship in the celebration of